This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Are you looking for an easy meal while you're out on the trail? Check out Green Belly Meals. They offer stoveless backpacking meals. These are lightweight, calorie-dense meals that provide you with all your macros you need. Green Belly Meals are made by thru-hikers for thru-hikers. If you're trying to cut some weight, you can ditch your stove, ditch that fuel, and check out these meal bars and the meal powder. Their meal bars come in around 600 calories and only weigh 5.5 ounces. So whether you're planning just a day hike, a nice weekend, or even your next thru-hike, consider Green Belly Meals as a lightweight, calorie-dense option. Go on over to greenbelly.co and use the code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE to save 10% off site-wide. That's Hiking Through Life, and that's for 10% off Green Belly products. Go check them out at greenbelly.co. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Bernie Cuprionis. Growing up in Pennsylvania, Bernie spent a lot of his younger years in the Appalachian Mountains. His adult years have been a collection of many section hikes, including the Appalachian Trail, North Country Trail, Superior Hiking Trail, Continental Divide, Border Route Trail, and Colorado Trail. He brings his dog Molly along with him on most hikes. We are here to hear about the many adventures Bernie and Molly get into. Welcome to the podcast, Bernie. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. So I'm curious, what brought you to Minnesota? You grew up in Pennsylvania? (laughs) Yeah, so it's been, uh, I'll I'll be in Minnesota for almost three years now. Um, Essentially, I lived in Pennsylvania my whole life and had some things, life changes happen and uh, essentially quit my job, said, whatever, we'll figure it out. And I had this plan to go live with some friends in this cabin in Maine, right? Off the grid, full you know, we'll go up and move up to Maine and that fell through. Um, and I have, uh, my aunt is out in Mayo Clinic. So she just finished up her surgical residency last year. So she's been out here for, she was out here for six years at Mayo Clinic. And I uh, was like, Hey, so can I move to Minnesota? She's like, yeah, come on out. We'll, we'll host you for a while till you can figure it out and get on your feet. And yeah, basically ended up full lifestyle career change and everything too. And, uh, yeah, right from there. And have you, I mean, it seems like you've really been embracing the Minnesota lifestyle. I mean, you went to the boundary waters. I bought a pair of snowshoes. Oh yeah. But yeah, I went to boundary waters, superior hiking trail a lot. Um, you not, not quite a lot of parks, but, um, quite a lot more parks in in Minnesota than Pennsylvania for sure. And is like the outdoors something that's always kind of been a part of your lifestyle or is that more so? It's always been there. Um, growing up in Pennsylvania, um, you know, everybody calls it Pennsylvania, you know, biggest, you know, everybody's out there hunting or, you know, riding quads and all that. So incorporating that stuff with camping too. So camping and hiking. So hunting adventures were, a, you know, three, four mile hike out to your stand. And then it was also camp overnight on like a weekend or whatever. So yeah, nothing crazy out there until about say maybe five years ago. Now I really got into bushcraft. And so that was building shelters and all that sort of stuff and sleeping out underneath a tarp and, you know, a lean to that you built and absolutely freezing and not wanting to be out there anymore. And it was just super rough. And uh, now, now I, backpack with a tent 
Yeah, because I mean, when you say tarp, like that's literally all you were under, and just your yeah. sleeping bag. Yeah, just make a just make a lean-to tarp, and you know, put a ridge pole up or a ridge line, and set up your tarp and sleep on the bare ground. Um, the occasional time I would bring a sleeping pad. Otherwise, it was you know find some boughs and put them down. Were you doing this in Minnesota, and were there any issues with bugs? I haven't done it in Minnesota. Sorry, one time. So about two years ago went up to Finland and with a buddy of mine and we just used a tarp in uh, January, dug out six feet of snow to make our little shelter absolutely froze. Uh, that was the week before the polar vortex, you know, this was about negative 27 at night. Oh man. Oh my gosh. That's insane. I mean, did you have a fire going all night? Uh, portions of the night for sure you know neither one of us wanted to actually get out to to put more wood on but we had to you know what do you mean get out you were in a tarp so you didn't even have a tent so yeah so you had like a dig out a hole and then have your tarp as your root essentially and then in the opening in the front of the tarp is you had a big long fire just in the ground and uh you know one of us would have to get up and reach over and grab some logs and toss them on the fire. That's wild. And your dog was out there with you too that night? So that night she was not. Um, definitely didn't want to take her out on that one. Uh, that was one of the coldest nights I've been on camping. So she wasn't coming with. Yeah, I bet. We've done some winter camping, but not quite that cold. I wouldn't call that camping. That was suffering. Uh, <laughs> there was, yeah, there was, there was nothing enjoyable about that really, except for walking back to the car the next morning. <laughs> right. Yeah, Sarah kind of gave up on winter camping. We've, like I said, we've tried it a few times, but I think the coldest we've gotten down to is like 10 degrees, maybe. Nothing like minus 27. It was, it was not fun. Like I said, I did have a really nice sleep system at the time, but you know, it was, it probably weighed, I don't know how many pounds. It was a military surplus, you know, three piece system. Uh, Fantastic, but you, you know, inevitably end up sweating in it. Because you have the bivy on the outside too. Most camping now, I try to stay away from that. Uh, New Year's Eve, I just went on a camping trip. Uh, where did I go for that? Somewhere on Spear Hiking Trail, Eggie's Lake. Eggie Lake, yeah. Yeah, Eggie Lake. So ended up hiking the three miles or whatever out to that, and then uh, snowshoes and carrying a sled, and then brought that out there the the, the South Campsite. How'd you like pulling a sled on the Superior Trail? If I didn't have as much gear in it, it would have been a lot better. Uh, <laughs> so it was breaking trail in snowshoes plus the sled. Mm. Uh, I had my girlfriend with me, so we brought a lot of extra, a lot of extra blankets and whatnot. You know, wool blankets. Yeah, yeah, because I've, I've heard a lot of debate about you know trails that have some incline of whether or not to use a sled or just you know a backpack, and I could see how pulling a lot of weight is not as easy as it sounds either yeah definitely um making sure that you were stepping wide enough with your snowshoes to have a little extra room left or right on the sled helped immensely versus just your normal walking with when breaking trail um if it was normal walking with your sled would like hit a bank and just constantly keep flipping over especially with it it wasn't the center of gravity was way too high for what was going on, for sure. Would you ever consider or have you ever done any camping in the Boundary Waters in the winter? Uh, no winter Boundary Waters camping. Um, hopefully soon, maybe. Maybe one of these days get a trip up there, maybe next year. Uh, planning a border route trail through hike, uh, end of May. So that'll be a little Boundary Waters camping for sure, but nothing in the winter. Yeah, end of May, so it'll... It'll still be pretty cool up there. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be cool enough that there aren't crazy amounts of bugs. Um, and I won't have to worry about carrying too much gear. Yeah, I mean, we go canoeing every year um, in early June in the Boundary Waters. And, I mean, the Border Route Trail might be um, a little bit different as far as bugs, but we never really have any bug issues early June. But we're also on the water and got some more breeze coming through. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did a portion of it in 2019, um, around September, maybe September or October. I did a four day canoeing or kayaking trip up there and accidentally ended up on the border route trail 
uh, because we had to go back to the outfitter. It was a whole mess. Um, one of the guys that I was with, his he had we all had inflatable kayaks. Well, his somehow had shifted when we got the when we got the ride to the boat launch, and one of them they were weird, and we're like, let's just hike back, and uh, ended up on part of the border route trail hiking, but it was so messed up we couldn't figure out where the trail was because of all the downfall and everything. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Is I I want to at some point get up and hike the Kekakabik and border route trails up in the Boundary Waters and. I've heard too that and read that there is, I mean, just because there's littler use than there is for like the Superior Hiking Trail, it can be at times hard to navigate, especially like later in the season, like you're up there. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the big, big thing is trail maintenance. While they do a great job at maintaining it, there's only so many volunteers and, you know, when they can get out to do it which is good and bad good. Cause you don't have that many, that many people destroying it. You know, it's just nature taking it. Another thing I did here, and I don't know how true it is, but compass use up there is very iffy, I guess, because of the iron range where you might hit pockets where your compass isn't working correctly. So GPS is the way to go for navigation up there. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have never considered that, mm. but that's a good point is compass being maybe a little thrown off by the iron content. But um, going back to the kayaking that you did, why did you choose to go with kayaks for your trip in the Boundary Waters? It just happened to be what we had. Um, yeah, my aunt's fiance has, uh, has two of these NRS kayaks. They're like super beefy material. You know, I mean, uh, whitewater raft quality. I mean, you can do, you know, white cap rapids with them and everything. Um amazing kayaks the trip was brutal it was cold everything was wet the whole time we ran out of food because none of us planned really it was just a three guys were like let's just go do this you know and uh the final day was a four mile ish paddle i forget what lake it was massive lake though near caribou lake maybe no that's that's superior hiking trail i forget exactly what lake it was but massive uh we went through clearwater outfitter so whatever so i guess they're on clearwater lake right yeah. So was it off the Gunflint up there? We drove Gunflint Trail up. I remember driving that up and then got to Clearwater Outfitters and don't remember where we put in. At. Yeah. I suppose if you were at the Border Route Trail, that would be up up past the Gunflint there, kind of north side of the Gunflint. Yeah. I think we, we ended up somehow there was right, the lake right above Clearwater is the border of Canada. Minnesota, okay. I believe so. So we were way up there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. So how was um, packing all your gear and stuff in a kayak versus um, a canoe? Because I would think that, you know, most people up there do canoes and um, you can kind of get more in them. But are these kayaks like able to hold a lot? Uh, so they're, they're two-person kayaks. You know, don't think you're your standard plastic kayak. Think of essentially a whitewater raft, but it's about three foot wide. Okay. Four foot wide, right? So plenty of gear storage, no no big deal there. Um, toss it in the back, and it has netting to keep everything down. Okay, nice. Yeah, we saw a couple of people, I think, our last trip that were they were fishing out of kayaks, yeah. but I've always wondered. But they had more of those, like, plastic kind yeah, of yeah. type kayaks. But I've always wondered, you know, maybe if I was solo, maybe a kayak would be nice. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. And even those plastic ones, those those have to weigh a bit, you know, yeah, they do. They do, definitely. The NRS product was amazing. Um, they've held up very great. Quite pricey, right? But you're getting an inflatable kayak. You know, it deflates in, you know, really fast, can pack it down. Um, quality's great on them, though. Uh, the only thing I would have to say is I did have a problem with tracking. And it was in the wind and everything, too. So, we're paddling and it's just super wind gusts and we're paddling into the wind. So my tail is just going back and forth instead of going in a straight line. Um, I don't know. It could have been me where I was sitting in it, where, where the weight was, who knows? Well, it sounds like when someone's like also just trying to paddle a canoe solo, like that's really challenging too. So I can't imagine like being in a yeah, kayak. I've, I've solo. never canoed, so I can't really, can't, can't speak on that. But you know, I, I think it, the, 
properties of it probably translate either way. So is canoeing in the Boundary Waters on your list now, now that you've kayaked there? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All of it is. And it, you know, every portion of it is on the list. It's just finding, you know, the time and the funds to do so. And are you going to bring the dog when you do that? We've seen a handful of people bring their dogs up there. Uh, she would definitely go on that trip for sure. Um, you know, especially solo. She, if I, if I drive somewhere, she always, almost always comes with, you know, there's a rare occasion, occasion that she doesn't. Um, when she, you know, if I fly somewhere, she's not coming with, but anytime I drive, she, she joins. And so are most of your hikes you do, like you drive to them, like the, the AT or Colorado trail. Did you drive there? Yeah. So that was all driving, um, you know, planning like a week long trip, you know, to Colorado, which from Rochester, it's 13 hours. It's not that bad of a drive. Best part about driving that too is, you know, you can kind of camp out of your car because most trailheads you're allowed to camp overnight at, um, either in your car, they have tent camping spots there. And then, uh, you know, you bring all the gear that you want. You can bring your dogs, you know, you guys don't have to worry about flying, you know, with your kids so you can bring them with and everything. And the Colorado trail. So how you said this was a week long trip on that trail. So it wasn't actually on the trail. It just ended up, it had all of the, a good amount of the trails. I just ended up being on them. Like the border route trail was an accident and ended up on it. Um, Colorado trail is I just ended up doing sections of it while I was hiking other stuff. And I look down and I'm like, I see, or I look up, I see a marker and I'm like, Oh, I'm on the Colorado trail right now, <laughs> you know? And it was just uh Climbing 14ers in Colorado. Yeah, because, I mean, you've done a handful of section hikes. And, I mean, is there a big through hike? I mean, you said Border Out Trail is going to come up for a through hike. Is there any others that you're, like, aspiring to through hike? I, I want to do all of them for sure. That is, <laughs> you know, it's it's at some point, at some point, I just want to be like, yeah, I through hiked every trail here, you know. Um, Appalachian Trail was on my list for a very long time since living in Pennsylvania. Um, always wanted to do that. Again, it ends up just being time. The time off, I'm not worried about. I can figure that out. No big deal. It's just, you know, save up five grand to go leave for six months, you know? Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, it, it is and it isn't. You know, when I look at my rent and I go, man, if I just didn't, you know, if I didn't pay rent for six months, I can be out on trail for six months, right? But, you know, it's it's a commitment too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I hiked, uh, two years ago, I hiked, uh, the superior hiking trail. I did that. Yeah. I saw that. Um, I listened to, you were on, uh, trails worth hiking. Yeah. Worth hiking? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was good. And it was just like a, compared to like the AT, obviously in the PCT, it's, it's like a mini trail, but, um, it's still 310 miles. It's, it's a long ways to go. And, it's a commitment too, but um, I think what I learned too is that some of the gear that you have to kind of go through too, like I went through and bought a different set of footwear just because my boots were failing mm -hmm. me. And so it's like some of those, those, those costs go into it too. So while you can plan all your meals and your lodging, you know, if you go into town or whatever, yeah. or take a zero maybe, but some of those things that come up that you maybe don't plan for, those can add up quick too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a common theme too, like hearing people, especially with boots or footwear is, you know, Oh, 200 miles in, I had to change my boots out or, and then, but then you get other people that, yeah, I did the whole trail on one set. Um, I've been trying different trail running shoes and uh, the ultra lone peaks. So I bought a, you know, used pair of ultra lone peaks, you know, new inbox, somebody get rid of, getting rid of them. And, uh, last time I went to Colorado, hiked one fourteen are in them and they are just destroyed on the sides. So, you know, you don't know what shoe's going to hold up until you're actually out there. Right. Well, and like the terrain makes such a difference too. Cause when you're talking a 14 or like, that's a little different than some of the terrain here in Minnesota. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, it's all that more rock and everything, but you know, it's how well do they hold up to mud versus, you know, like a pair of Merrill Moabs or something. So I, how does your dog do on those 14ers? I mean, she is there absolutely any... loves it. She just loves it. Yeah. She, she just keeps going. Um, 
regardless of the trail and everything, she just has that, she has that mindset of we're just going to go, 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 go. Uh, first time her and I were on a 14er two years ago. Now we did, we did Mount Sherman, which was like a little test, pretty easy 14er. It's barely, I think it's like 14,001 feet, barely a 14er, but, um, super easy took a rest day. And then the next day we did the quad peaks, uh, Democrat Lincoln, Cameron and Bross, uh, we tried to do those as fast as we could and get them done before noon was the plan. Get all four done before noon. And my dog, she just kept going, 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 going until we got to the car. She's like, nope, I'm done. We're not hiking anymore. What kind of dog do you have? So she's a lab beagle mix. Okay. Um, just ended up, she was a rescue dog and, you know, got her six years ago, almost seven years now. Have you ever run into any, like, big emergencies with her on the trail? I mean, we hike with our dog, too. Yeah, no emergencies on trail. Um, her paws will, you know, the pads will bleed, you know, especially on the 14ers, which it's it's going to happen no matter what dog you have. Um, you know, I was just pushing her a little bit. She kept going. You know, she wasn't wincing or, or hurting or anything. I don't think, you know, boots for dogs are necessary, like are a necessity. But depending on the conditions, they might be, you know. Yeah. Do you put anything on them, like a like a Vaseline or a musher? Like no, she self? just she just goes through. Um, she's never had, you know, it just maybe gets a scrape on her feet, but never never had any need to put anything on her paws. Yeah, we've never done it to our dog either. We've always considered maybe getting little boots for the winter, but I mean, yeah, that's that's the only thing for mine that I would consider, um, especially this last one. She was great hiking completely fine the whole time she was running around with us in the snow and then as soon as we got to camp she was like uh my feet are cold (laughs) but she hopped in the tent and stayed in there while you know we got the fire going and cooking dinner and everything yeah our dog has never shown any signs of being like uncomfortable with her Mm -hmm. her feet so yeah we've never done anything with ours either so um do you have any advice for people that are looking to get out there and hike a lot with their dogs or are get, are just getting a dog and kind of kind of breaking them into hiking? Um you know as everybody always says it's the same thing of gradually go into it. Um I don't do that with most things, you know, with trails and stuff. It's like let's just go and, you know, oh man, I forgot to pack food so let's just keep going you know but my dog lucky enough that i she kind of takes the same approach of as long as we're going she's like i'm there with you everybody's dog isn't the same you know you might have differences so it's probably best if you're not sure especially if it's a puppy start slow with them and see how they react right for sure like starting slow on like an easy trail for a dog i mean it's kind of like training a kid to go hiking like ease them into it and see see how they do but yeah every dog is going to be different based on the breed that they are and like yeah ours is an australian shepherd healer and she could go and go for miles and miles and miles like she just loves it yeah and even depending on the breed you might get a dog and that dog is just like no i don't want to walk So you don't know until you start getting them out there and seeing how they are and just pay attention to your dog. You know, I have packs for my dogs or my dog and she is, uh, it's this granite gear pack that I previously had, but it was like kind of fleece lined on the part that went on her. And when I was on the spear hiking trail, um, over the summer, it was just way too hot for her. And I'm like, you know, we got to take this off of her and we'll carry it now, you know, had all of her food and stuff in it, but you know, just pay attention to that stuff. And, you know, if your dog's getting tired, okay, we'll take a pause. Yeah, for sure. Keep them hydrated, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, also, I know there is a, especially with hiking community, I guess, you know, people say, you know, filter your water for your dogs. And again, my experience might be different. I let my dog drink right out of ponds, rivers, little, little puddles that she finds, you know, and She's never had any issue before. Is it because she's always done that? Is it because she lucked out? You know, who knows? Wow, yeah. I've never actually considered filtering the water for our dog. Yeah, we, <laughs> we do the same as that. you. We just kind of let her drink from yeah. the creeks, the whatever, yeah. Yeah, drink as she's going to. Um, you know, if there isn't water nearby, yeah, she'll get some of my water bottle. But uh, the pack I have for her now actually came with two water bladders and springtime i'm hoping to fill those up and see how that is little water bladders wait so is there like a hose for her 
So she, there's, there's not a hose in it. Um, I just got her the, uh, Kur, not Kurgo, um, the Roughwear Palisades pack. It's, I suggest it to everybody. It's a three point harness that goes on her. So around the neck, chest, and then belly and the backpack like quick connects to that harness. So the harness stays on the whole time. And then the backpack can be just taken off or on with four little clips and, uh, inside one of the pockets there's three pockets on each side and inside the nearest pocket are two water bladders like half liter you know screw top bladders yeah we'll definitely have to check that out because i think daisy's pack is kind of on its last legs yeah definitely take take daisy to rei um take her up there you know try a pack on with it that's what i did with molly um she became a little celebrity up at rei in, in <laughs> bloomington so <laughs> I bet so I don't think we could do that with our dog, considering our dog is not the greatest with new people and new dog dogs around. But funny, I love that little dog celebrity. Yeah, I mean, if you know, work on, you know, you got to kind of make that a priority though, too, of of working on getting that, getting your dog better with you know new people and stuff. And I went through that big problem with Molly was you know she doesn't like small animals outside. She pulled a lot when she was walking and hiking and a prong collar fixed almost all of that, you know, barely even have to pull on it with her and just put it on. And she's like, oh, I know it's there. And she calms down almost immediately. That's interesting because I used to have a prong collar for her, but then we lost a prong and it got too short. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they are. I didn't want to choke her to death with it. Yeah, (laughs) definitely don't want that. Um, Just a little bit of pinch on it and it works well. Yeah, yeah, no, it worked great for for a while. Um, and then she's gotten a lot better as she's gotten a little older and just had more exposure to people too. So she's gotten better with people. She still does not get along with other dogs. So yeah, yeah, that's a mine. She's she's hit or miss with other dogs, but usually pretty good. Sometimes though, she's like, nope, I don't like that dog. Yeah, yeah, it's maybe the the look the other dog gives her or something. I don't know. Yeah, but it's yeah, or maybe because ours is a rescue too. Daisy's a rescue, and maybe it's an experience she had in the past with a type of dog or something like that. But yeah, or maybe it's just not proper socialization just when she was young. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a lot of factors that go into it, and I kind of had that fear with Molly, where I was always like, no, no, don't expose her to other dogs because I know how she's gonna be, and you know, you can kind of have to just get over that and be like well is what it is you know she's got to get exposed to it to get better at it exactly uh i always almost always take her out on a leash where i was living in pennsylvania i had a fenced in yard so it was okay but when i moved out here when i was living with my aunt her her yard wasn't completely fenced in and i was like yeah no big deal she and would run off constantly and just you know chasing after a squirrel or whatever and i would get worried i'd be looking for her, and then eventually i was like well She's always come back, so either she does or she doesn't. You know, it's not ideal that she runs away, but, you know, as a, as a dog dad, you know, I had to get over that fear. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Hope they'll come back. So I know, like, you mentioned you're also an ultra-light packer. Like, you're a fan of ultra-light gear. I am, and I'm not. Is it, like, uh-huh. kind of something that's evolved over time? That kind of what it seems to be with most ultra-light fans <laughs> yeah it, it's definitely evolved over time um military surplus was the greatest thing in the world that i started with um super cheap stuff de- decent quality very heavy over time i just started going like you know what's this new piece of gear i can get new piece of gear and uh really enjoyed the granite gear stuff and then never had any interest in dcf products uh i thought it was great where i was like man you can get a you know, a tent that weighs six ounces, right? Like, how crazy is that? Like, but uh, I guess finding out and hearing, oh, you only have that tent for one one season. Like, that's ridiculous to spend $700 on a product that, you know, within halfway through your through hike is going to start leaking on you. Yeah, that's insane. And a big part of that too is listening to different opinions. And that's why I now went with the Durston gear, the Dan Durston gear. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. No, I haven't. So Dan Durston, um, huge gearhead guy, and he designed his own tent and backpack. And I just got the backpack in um, 
end uh, no beginning of January, I think. So I haven't even tried it out yet, though. But uh, just got that pack in, and it's a uh, polyester. It's a poly type. Um, so think of like your poly tarps, right? Like old school poly tarps. But I guess the however they change it, whatever chemistry they go into it, it is beca- became lighter and stronger than old poly stuff. And uh, the big thing to it with poly versus nylon versus DCF is nylon will hold something like 70% of its weight in water and it stretches. And now, you know, when it's one pound, you don't notice that really, right? And it dries out a bit. Um, DCF breaks down very easy because it's a coating on it, I guess, and that breaks off. But the poly stuff is almost, you can't get as light as DCF. But it's still light enough. I mean, I think that the Dan Durston pack I have is one pound, forty one liter pound? pack, or something like you know, one one pound, maybe a few ounces. Yeah, that's that's pretty light. And you know, it's completely waterproof as it is. You know, there's no coating on it that makes it waterproof. And then there's the tent, which I'm saving up to get that, but I need a new I need a new uh, sleeping system first. Um, but it's the X mid. It's like. 300 bucks and it's like a like one pound and eight ounces or something again it's you know you have the durability of the poly but it's still super light so i mean what was so appealing to you for the lightweight thing because i mean you're not through hiking yet and like your section hikes how many days is like the longest you've done a section hike for uh five or six days five days go five days okay and so like was the weight so much that you wanted to go light or was it just like you figured it could be better (laughs) i think it stemmed from i never actually really weigh my whole pack my my planning isn't ever the greatest um i think it really stems from i look back on my first my first backpacking trip that i did where where i said to myself like oh this is a backpacking trip we're gonna do mileage and we're gonna camp overnight you know and uh, I weighed my pack before leaving then, and it was 37 and a half pounds. Whoa. Yeah, and that was hammock camping in the summer. Hammock camping, too. Hammocks are really light. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the tarp. That was me bringing my my collapsible saw, my, my axe, because I was still in bushcraft mode, right? Mm. And uh, it was absolute torture. I was, I was in pain. I was, I was, it was just too hot you know, too much weight on there. And I'm like, okay, we got to change something. So I'm like, you know, whatever, let's just go, go as ultra light as I can while still keeping that durability factor. Yeah. Yeah. Even on my through hike, I mean, my, my pack wasn't that heavy. I, well, I, for the base weight, it was like a little heavier than I intended. It was in the 20 pounds, but like, it still like made me realize going for that long with something that I always considered to be not that heavy ended up being heavier than I wanted. Yeah. I definitely think on distance it's heavy. Um, I also think prioritizing getting the correct gear has made a difference where, you know, it was, Oh, I just had my Stanley stainless steel set, you know, from Walmart. That was my cook set, you know, whereas now I got titanium cook set, titanium cookware, you know, um, you know, I'm not wearing, I'm not hiking in, you know, bush pants, you know, so all of that made a huge difference, you know, instead of, you know, wearing big, you know, hiking boots, you know, leather hiking boots, you know, we're going with trail runners. So I think it all over time, just, you know, what's the lightest thing that I can get, but also that durability is a huge factor. I will, if it's, if it's a choice between, you know, one pound DCF something and one point, one pound, six ounce, you know, you know, nylon or whatever, uh, poly something else, I'm going to go with that durability factor for sure. Yeah. The more you get out there too, the more you find what is like right for you. Yeah, definitely. And that's a, you know, you can't just choose, pick and choose what everybody says, you know, take their opinions, but don't, you know, look at whatever YouTube personality is, you know, their opinion is what is true. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with out there, especially with the dog stuff, but gear as well, do your research. And if you want to find somebody who's, who'll be like, yeah, I'll let you try it for the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. If, if you know somebody that's got some stuff and yeah, not even if, you know, if you know somebody, but you know, hiking groups on Facebook or whatever, you know, people are always looking to go hike with somebody. 
and you know try it out and go out with them and then be like hey man let me borrow your pack and you can borrow mine and we'll see how they work right for sure i know like we've took our friends um up to the boundary waters and they had like just like a basic water filtration system at first and then we showed them our platypus and they were like amazed at like how quick that thing filters water yeah that was that's definitely a huge thing Um, do you have one of those uh, no, I just use the Sawyer system. Um, I have a Sawyer Mini and the Sawyer Squeeze. And I the Sawyer Squeeze, all I did when I bought it, there's two holes on the corners that are already there, but they're not punched out. Punch out the holes. It doesn't affect the bag that it comes with. Put some string through it, hook that to a tree, and you have a gravity system. Isn't that what we just got? Yeah, we just ordered the Sawyer Squeeze, actually, <laughs> but we're going to use it in line with our platypus gravity bags yeah Um, yeah so basically having the inline filter but then if we want to we can also take it off and just screw it to a water bottle yeah yeah so i i do both methods i have the sawyer bags that come with it like i said but that's punched out has a string through it so you can use it as a gravity system or smart water bottles yeah that's great like i've i've heard have you ever had issues with those bags if you do use it for a gravity system i guess you're not squeezing so they probably don't fail when you're doing it as a gravity yeah the only thing is the one liter bag um one liter bag and i would assume the three liter bag as well wouldn't have any issues the one that comes with the mini which is like a 0.7 liter or something that will have like a vacuum effect so you'll have to open it up quick um to let some air in so that it will drain out but the one liter bag never had an issue with if we ever forget our bags or just want to go a little bit lighter we could just use the bag it came with too from sawyer that's the thing it's like you know um i think that gets not so much marketed by sawyer but marketed by personalities is you know while there are those bags, right, you know, the three liter bags that people strap to the top of their packs, like the platypus one, you know, that's a, that gets spread around as, you know, this is what you have to do. And it's like, if you're on a budget or if you just don't want to buy an extra bag, you know, it comes with that bag, use a little bit of ingenuity on it and look at it and go, oh, I can just string this up. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even ever think of doing something like that with the Sawyer bags themselves, but I like the ingenuity and the DIY. We're definitely all about that. Yeah, I mean, and again, like it's I poked a hole in, in the corners with a knife where I saw it wouldn't, you know, you know, leak into the bag. Put a little bit of tape on there and that was it. Do you have any other um little DIY things that you've done with your gear over the over time? Um almost anything that has some sort of some sort of rope attached to it like uh let's say like my snowshoes their quick release system had like a little it it had like a cloth rope yep get ready all your cloth rope paracord just paracord everything um yeah it might weigh a little more i guess uh but again it's that that durability thing and i i don't think i can get the bushcraft stuff out of my head like i absolutely i absolutely love a nice uh a nice gas stove right i only bring my twig stove with me and that's just because i don't have to carry gas and you know there's twigs everywhere but yeah as far as as far as little diy stuff your zippers on all your bags your backpack they just have a little metal tab uh go on to google figure out how to weave a scorpion weave i believe it's called for a paracord like how they make the paracord bracelets and if you you don't want to weave that so you have more just figure eight not a little bit of paracord to the end of it um your tents as well do that to your tents so middle of the night you have to get up and pee you're not searching for the little zipper you just feel you feel your paracord and pull it up so do you have it wrapped around like your knife handle and all that uh, stuff too? pretty much everything yeah <laughs> i mean um oh yeah almost everything has some sort of paracord on it um <laughs> For a little bit, I got into, I was making Kydex stuff. So Kydex holsters for, for pistols and sheaths for knives. And the little bit of Kydex, if you guys can learn a little bit on YouTube, makes it great. Super lightweight. My lighter, so you know, carry a Bic lighter. It has its own Kydex sheath that is attached by paracord to the inside of your bag. It won't come undone and you, you know, you're not searching for a lighter. Yeah, never, never thought of putting a lighter in a sheath or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of good little yeah. clever hacks. Yeah, and I think 
I think not a lot of people would think of it. I think it just ended up, I thought of it because I was already like, you know, I want to make my own gun holster. So I already had the Kydex. I had the spare parts. And I was like, how can I incorporate this into backpacking? Same thing now I do. I do woodworking and it's like, what little things can you add into there, into backpacking? So, you know, carve your own little spoon, right? For me, it's worth it because I already do that in my day-to-day life. Right, right. It's just like incorporating it. That's like the beauty about the backpacking lifestyle too. Like when you start doing that stuff out there, then it just becomes part of who you are every day. Yeah, it becomes part of your life. Um, your your last episode that you guys had, uh, back backwoods food, backcountry foodie, Aaron, backcountry foodie. Yeah, there you go. Um, I am. I started looking into that after listening to your podcast. I was like, man, that is awesome because it's all dry, dry good food. Yeah, and it's all like super simple stuff that you can do. I just dehydrated spinach because she gave me that idea. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. She said that, and I was like, man, that's a good idea. Like, why didn't I think about doing that? Um, but I also kind of did some of that. So my backpacking meals that I make, um, angel hair pasta and uh, powdered soup mix. Oh. Yeah, angel hair pastas, powdered soup mix. Just uh, toss it into a Ziploc bag. There you go. Boil it up. Is that like your go-to or what's like your go-to camping meal? Uh, go-to camping meals, packets of salmon and peanut butter. Not mixed together. <laughs> yeah. So packets of salmon, they're like a dollar twenty at at V or any store. Salmon, not tuna. Uh, no, I don't like packaged tuna. Okay, I've never tried packaged salmon. Yeah, so it's the um, I don't think I don't remember who makes it, but uh, you know, just go to your your canned meat section at High V, and it's like a dollar twenty eight for a six ounce bag of salmon, and uh, I absolutely love it. I'll just I'll pack a bunch of those and eat all of them. And uh, peanut butter is another go-to. But if I am making a meal, uh, trying to keep it lightweight meal, um, it's uh, usually going to be that angel hair pasta and whatever dehydrated meat or um, soup mix inside of it. Yum. Have you ever done any of like your own dehydrating jerkies or anything? Like beef jerky? Yeah, back in Pennsylvania I did. Um, I haven't done any uh, when I was – I would – Every year I would hunt back in Pennsylvania. Haven't done it since moving out here, but um, you know, get a deer and dehydrate my own jerky. Um, whatever ground meats I would do, you know, dehydrate spaghetti for for uh, overnight meals and everything. Yeah, that's what like I'm so inspired after listening to Backcountry Foodie and just like listening to you do this. Like they're so easy to like do on your own, and then like you think of people who buy these like crazy expensive dehydrated meals. It's like all this stuff can be done so easily yeah uh i think it's the convenience factor for most people um you know it's you have to go out and buy a dehydrator you have to go out you know if you have a costco membership no big deal but buy your your dry goods right um learn how to vacuum seal those dry goods you know is probably a good idea and i think that's just like oh there's all this work that goes into it but once you have it it's make your food toss it on the dehydrator for while you go to work or whatever you do in your normal day and when you come home it's done Right, right. It's set it and forget it, like a crock pot, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you did some like writing for guidebooks. Yeah. So um, basically, you know, it was a uh, it was a company that has been on quite a few podcasts. We don't need it. You know, there's no bad blood or anything between us. It just ended up that I wasn't working. It wasn't working out what we were doing, but we did do your basic uh, route guides. So it was aimed at the, you know, two to 10 day backpackers. You know, like what I do is uh, doing the, you know, section hikes or, you know, getting into backpacking or canoe camping or whatever like that. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I thought I had a lot of, you know, prospect for myself, but while it didn't work out, I learned a lot about planning trips. So that was awesome for it. I would love to, once I prioritize it, make it something that I do either as a living or supplemental income, right? But yeah, definitely learned a lot about how to use maps, everything like that, um, CalTopo, all your resources, actually how to, how to plan a trip for somebody else, how to take my mindset of, oh, you know, I just forgot to bring whatever with me and, you know, we'll just suffer through it and look back at it and go, Okay, well, I can see I want to do an 18 mile day. If somebody's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm kind of beginner, I'm like, 
okay, we're going to plan three miles today for you. Yeah, it's kind of like how I plan our trips. I want to go <laughs> far and do a bunch of miles. And Sarah wants to yeah talk to everyone and <laughs> take yep, her time. Yep. <laughs> Sit down and have my snacks. Yeah, but, you know, it seems with you guys, you know, you, you communicate that well with each other. Um, as far as, you know, here's my what I want to accomplish on this backpacking trip. And here's what you want to accomplish on this backpacking trip. And, you know, so instead of like, oh, I thought we were going to do what I said, you know, nobody ends up presenting themselves at the end of it. Yeah. And that's one thing that's good about our personalities too, is we're pretty laid back, both of us. And so we're able to kind of make those um, kind of meet in the middle type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And still both really enjoy it. You know? Yeah. And, you know, that's another good thing is as long as you're just, you know, the trip starts when you leave, you know, leave your house. It's like, regardless of what happens after that, let's just enjoy our time out in nature. Right. Right. Versus being like, ah, uh, oh, you know, the trip is ruined. It's like, hey, we're still out here. Yeah, it might suck. It might be cold, but, you know, we're, we're still enjoying it. Yeah. You mentioned you took your girlfriend out winter camping. I mean, did she enjoy it? What's are your guys's outdoorsy styles blending well? <laughs> uh, they are. Um you know, she's sitting over here, so I'm not going to talk too much trash on her because <laughs> she can't defend herself. But um, yeah, no, I think she, I definitely think she enjoyed the hiking out there. I think we both thought it might've been a little, a little more. I didn't, this was actually my first time snowshoeing. So it was a little more intense than I thought it would be. I was like, man, my legs hurt. Like, you know, I can hike and hike and hike, but snowshoeing's a different oh, yeah. ball game. Um, the cold for her was definitely a factor. Um, that came in that was uh, added a bit of misery especially with being being wet um, that definitely uh her her snow pants ended up getting wet and uh you know so her her base layer got wet and everything so we kind of had to deal with that overall though i think she enjoyed it except uh you know i planned that trip so she got she got the next trip so we're gonna go stay at a cabin snowshoe to a cabin <laughs> luxury camping yeah luxury for sure um i'm not gonna bring anything i'll assume it'll all be fine <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can bring your heavy duty bushcraft stuff to the cabin <laughs> i don't want to pull all that or carry all of it for sure snowshoeing with heavy gear again i've learned my lesson there you know especially since we'll be indoors for that one there's a fireplace in there it's luxury i don't gotta you know, maybe a wool blanket, but no other extra gear for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of your favorite trails that you've hiked? I really love the Ice Age Trail. They all have different, they all have different um, things about them. I love the Ice Age Trail for the fact that it's so long and there's so many different sections you can do and they're all within a few hours drive. So, you know, I mean, you guys are in the cities, right? Yeah. Um. So for you, it's a... Uh, you know, 20 minute drive to the Western terminus mm -hmm. or something like that. Maybe, maybe half an hour. It's right at St. Croix. So that's not probably not that far at all for you, but yeah, within three hours drive, you can be on so many different sections of the ice age trail. And as long as you don't end up doing roadwalks, which there's a lot of them on there, they suck. Um, especially in the summer heat and mosquitoes and black flies attacking you it is it's torturous but the wooded sections there's plenty of them for anybody to find that's a through hike i have planned eventually maybe with all the other ones uh so ice age trail i would probably have to say is number one for convenience factor okay number two though Colorado. i'm, I'm absolutely in love with colorado <laughs> so colorado trailer or or parts of cdt for sure that'll be I want to get more on the CDT. I want to go, you know, Montana, do parts of it and see what it is. Yeah. Those are two trails, the Colorado and the CDT that I want to explore too. I haven't been to either of them, but we've been out to Colorado and just done small trails and done some mountains, no 14ers, but we've been out over by like Vail and stuff like that. And it's amazing out there. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's just, you got to remember to, take your time before going up in elevation. Yeah, I definitely <clears throat> had elevation sickness there. <laughs> yeah, I first time I was out there, you know, Minnesota's definitely a lot flatter than Pennsylvania, <laughs> but you know, 2000 feet versus versus 14 is way different and uh, I luckily didn't get any elevation sickness. 
last time I was out there, I decided, you know, nighttime we camped at the trailhead of Grays and Tories, which is like 11,000 feet or something. And that was not a good idea. Don't do that. Actually, you know, take your first day in Denver or something and get used to it. Yeah, that's well, that's what we did. But we, I think we just pushed ourselves too, too hard the next day. And Sarah got a little bit of a headache and had some elevation sickness and I was fine though, but maybe I was pushing her too hard. Yeah. yeah. It might've been the beer drinking too. It could have been. The beer <laughs> yeah. Drinking. Yeah. That's that, that is not good. That doesn't help. The, uh, the two things definitely are, uh, hydration for elevation sickness. So constantly just hydration before. Um, so the whole drive out there, it's, I'm like, okay, just pound water, pound water, pound water and aspirin, you know, half an aspirin is actually been proven to help. But other than that, you really can't do anything about it. There is some medication that you can take uh, for brain swelling um, as a just in case. I forget what it's called. Some doctor, I'm sure, will be able to chime in on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I luckily w- did have some of that when I go out there just in case. Awesome. Yeah. Was there anything There's else we're, we're missing? I mean, we've talked about a whole ton. There's been a lot, especially in the past two years for me, as far as far as trails and hiking and stuff. And, you know, talking about it like this makes me realize, you know, that there has been quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, you have like an insane amount of just trail experience and things you do. Would you ever like think about like going to lead people on hikes with all your experience? That is definitely in the thoughts. Um, Again, it's what what is the priority right now for it? And uh I have to decide that is going to be my priority. That took me a while to, to learn just through life. But uh, narrowing down your hobbies. Essentially, I have two now where one is outdoors, backpacking, hiking, whatever. So that's a good spot. And then uh, I train jujitsu and teach. I teach kids jujitsu. And I like to think I'm pretty good at it, you know. Um, and so I think melding the two together of like taking what I've learn teaching through there and putting it into my experience in outdoors would be something awesome. It's, you know, where do I start? What do I do? How do I do it? You know? Um, and I think a lot of people get that worry, especially trying to learn about how do you create a job? Right. And with jujitsu and especially being an instructor, like I imagine there's lots of discipline. We had, obviously we had with problems with COVID and, you know, so we were doing a lot of Zoom classes and it's way different on Zoom than it is in person. You know, the kids are in their home, you know, they think they can get away with stuff, but, you know, I'm a bit of a drill instructor. I don't forget that stuff. Uh, the last shutdown that we had for December in Minnesota, I had Thursday classes, but because the holidays landed on Thursdays, I changed my schedule to make it Wednesdays. None of the kids showed up. So when we came back uh, in January for in-person class, I was like, you remember when none of you guys showed up when I changed my schedule? All it was was workouts. It was push-ups and burpees for an entire hour. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of discipline that goes into it. And what age are these kids that you're teaching? So I teach anywhere from 6 to 16. And they're all in the same class? It's a mix. Um, Before COVID happened, we 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 had a massive like kids class where it was all mixed together. You know, you kind of keep them by size in their own little groups. Right. So before that we had 45 kids at a time where our biggest classes um, on the mats. Uh, Now we try to keep as COVID safe with guidelines as we can for the kids. Um, Again, it's jujitsu, you know, you're, you're wrestling each other. How safe can you be with that? But we're broken down into pod systems. Um, with a max of 25 each and they all do essentially the same class, right. With whoever's the instructor. Um, and then usually there's another instructor helping, but we're split off into two pods. So you have two groups. You can either be in group A or group B and group A is the only group that you, you, uh, train with. So if in the event, somebody, you know, one of the kids comes back with COVID positive, you can trace it that whole, group can quarantine while the other one can still train yes the beauty of the pods i know all about this i'm a preschool teacher and we're we're living in our little pod worlds right now yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's difficult um especially with with jujitsu it's like you have to cater the pods correctly to experience so that the experienced kids can help 
teach the the inexperienced ones, but also by size and age, because you can't have a, you know, 40 pound six year old sparring with a, you know, 140 pound, you know, 16 year old. Right. Well, and just like be just like the distancing with jujitsu, like that's such a physical contact sport. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, especially when when we were first, whenever it was, maybe June, I think we we got back. You know, gyms were reopened, something like that. You know, even adults, we had to figure out what do we do. You know, we're all brainstorming. Uh, Mario is uh, so Mario Roberto. He's the He's the owner, operator, Mario Roberto Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, he's brainstorming. How does he keep his gym alive, right? And follow the Minnesota Department of Health guidelines. Who, you know, we had issues where they said Jiu-Jitsu isn't even a sport, but wrestling is. And we're like, we do the same stuff. Everybody's that close. You know, so we had to break down pod systems. And we first started, I think the first month, it was six foot distance nobody's allowed to touch anybody until you know they figured out what the guidelines were so how do you even train i guess at a six foot distance yeah now we're allowed to now we're allowed to um you can train with anybody in your pod right so even adults have pods so i can train with anybody in pod one and we can pick and choose depending on who's there for the night you know or day class whatever it is um but you just stay with that partner the whole night so you're not going to trade off to someone else, you know, unless they leave. And then, so it kind of keeps it more managed that way, but we're pretty much back to normal um, without, you know, it just has to be within your pods. And jujitsu is your, is that a side job or is this your full-time thing? Uh, so uh, jujitsu, I volunteer for that. I volunteer to teach there. Oh. Yeah. Teaching the kids, it's, I absolutely love it. You know, I'm not a, not a huge kid person, at least, you know, no, like, don't foresee myself having any in any future. Um, but I do love the kids that I teach. It's great. Um, I would volunteer constantly to do it. Like if, you know, if it ever came up, I would do it again. But full time, I'm a woodworker. So I uh, make like trim and custom cabinetry and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that's what you were mentioning about, like blending that together when you're out on the trail. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like jujitsu has helped your outdoor pursuits at all so it definitely has um it's again that same thing of how what you do translates back to your you know becoming your day-to-day life um the mindset of jiu-jitsu uh especially when we're sparring really hard you know fighting each other um because not only do i train jiu-jitsu there you know it's a lot of mixed martial arts stuff so you know when you're getting punched in the face every day after work and choked out and whatnot and then you're out on trail and you're hiking and you're like, man, this sucks. And you're like, it's actually not that bad. I could, I, I've been in worse positions, you know, which both of those, you know, especially people that, you know, through hikers and stuff too, who are like, you know, I ran out of food. I'm, you know, I'm starving. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm wet. I'm cold. And then you go back to into your day-to-day life and you're like, you know, your, you know, your boss is, is, you know, mad at you about something and you're like, eh, whatever, man, you know, no crying over spilled milk type thing. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of mental um, lessons that you can take away from each. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They all have their mental lessons. Um, Jiu-jitsu, I think the, the biggest one is just keep going, you know, um, when you're just, you're, you're down and tired. Granted, for me, you know, the mental, like, I guess the, the mental health part of that doesn't translate very well as the physical, the physical stuff, you know, I get tired. I'm like, yeah, you can just keep going, just keep going, just keep pushing through, just keep pushing through. You'll get through it, you know? Well, exactly. Yeah. Like there's like hum, like bad humps and good humps, good days, bad days. But at the end of it, it's really, it's really not all that bad. You got to see the positive and everything. Yeah. And you're going to have positives and negatives, you know, it's like a, ups and downs, you know, every, like, that's all going to be in life. And, you know, if you just kind of, kind of take a look back and be like, Oh, where was I, you know, what did I get through before? You know, it makes, makes things seem a lot easier. Yeah. Well, Bernie, you're so like knowledgeable. If people wanted to get in touch with you to talk about more trails, more technical talk, where can they reach out to you? Uh, Instagram is definitely the easiest place. That's five zero seven adventuring. No G at the end. Um, it's, uh, 
funny enough, it was 570 because that was the area code from Pennsylvania where I came from and then moved out to Minnesota. It's 507. Uh, so 507 <laughs> Adventure in at, uh, on, on Instagram is definitely the easiest place to get in touch with me. I love it. Just the one one number switch. Yeah, it made the phone number thing very difficult because I still have my 570 number and still never fails where somebody's like, yeah, I called you. I'm like, mm, did you? Did you call the right number? Did you just go, did he say 570? It's 507 here, you know. Awesome. Well, this has been super cool. I I like this. I'm glad that Andy came on to talk with us too, because like I said, Andy's better at technical talk. So we this was this was fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> A fun different yeah. perspective. Thank you for having me on, guys. Thanks for the time. Appreciate sure. it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.